This was the darkest episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait. What? Is that bad? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. Today we're talking about books that gave us book hangovers. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest read, and have book talk about books that have given us book hangovers. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition, a book that we've added to our own TBR lists. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you hear, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us find our perfect listening audience. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am. I'm good. It is wine time. We're podcasting. I'm in my closet, <laughs> which is where I record. So I'm ready. I'm in my corner. I know we didn't have to like reason and be like, oh, it's five o'clock somewhere. Right. No, it actually it's is. It's actually after five o'clock. Well, I'm drinking an Eastern time zone today because it's still only 430 by me. Oh, but, that's right. <laughs> but when we're together, you know, it counts. It is five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock right here in Ohio. There you go. That's what we're doing. I am so excited to tell you about my loving lately. So do you want to? Yeah. Do you want to ask? So, okay. Why don't you? Okay. Well, here's why. I think it's going to freak you out. Ooh. A little bit. Good or bad? I'm not sure. Okay. All right. What is it? So my loving lately is an article that I saw on the Book Riot website, and it's written by Kelly Jensen. And it has to do with DNFing books, and the article is called, Is It Worth Your 2500 I think this article was born out of a Twitter conversation between Laura Vanderkam, who is an author of nonfiction books about time management, and other book writers and readers. In this Twitter conversation, she does the math to figure out that if you're lucky enough to be a reader for 50 years and you read at a rate of 50 books a year, you'll only be able to read 2,500 books in your lifetime. Oh. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, well, how many how many of that budget have I already read? So anyway, the point of this article, and obviously we will link to it, is that it's worth taking stock, if you want to, when you're reading. Does this book deserve a place among my 2,500? Okay, so if I read about 100 books a year, maybe a little bit more or less, so it's about 5,000 if you have 50 more reading years left. So here's what I thought. I know that can kind of seem like daunting, like it might give you decision paralysis if you're thinking like, okay, is it worthy of this title? But I think more importantly, no matter what the book is, if it's literary fiction, thriller, YA, the question is, do you love what you're reading? Is this something that is bringing you joy? Is it enriching you in some way? And I really like this question. I do think it puts a little pressure on us to be in the moment. Like, okay, only 5,000 books. It kind of reminded me, like, time is genuinely a finite resource. And maybe we should look at the books we're reading from this lens. So if you only have 2,500 books, how do you want to spend that time? I know that I'm super guilty of book FOMO. I think I did this earlier. Looking back at the books I've read this year in 2021, I... I don't think I would miss some of them if I didn't end up getting to them. I think, though, on the other side of the coin, it's also worth thinking about 
DNFing. So if you're starting all of these books and you decide, hey, this book isn't worthy of my 2,500, well, then you've just wasted some time doing that. Anyway, I thought this was such interesting food for thought. What are your, what's your reaction to this? I cannot believe that you brought this. Why? Because, okay, I have two reactions. Well, that is my biggest one. You and I do not talk about our loving latelys. No. Right? Never. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, first of all, let, I'll circle back. Okay. But keep that in mind. Got it. When I bring mine. <laughs> I know. It's like Twilight Zone. But I do want to say, were you just mentioning DNFing as if the time that you spend reading something that you then DNF? Yes. Is that possibly a bad thing? Like I don't that's know. wasted time. Is it right? Is it wasted time? If you think about time, obviously being a finite resource, but then it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? So the sunk cost fallacy is where you put all of this effort into something and you know, it's kind of a dud in your heart, but you're like, no, I've put so much work into it. I don't want to quit now. But then you're wasting that much more time on the thing that's a dud. Whereas if you stop, you could just then pivot and find something better potentially. True. And maybe it all then circles back to choosing the right books for you Mm -hmm. and whether that's getting really good at picking them or getting really good at your recommendation sources, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, it, it probably has a little bit to do with both. I was just telling my husband the other day, like I find sometimes, especially now that we're podcasting, I'll sit here and think, oh, is this book good? Am I liking this book? Do I like this book? I don't know. If I'm asking myself that question, no, you are not. <laughs> Go ahead That's and put true. it aside. Because if you know, like if you're reading a book and there that question doesn't pop in your head, keep going. That's the book that you're supposed to be reading at that time, at least for me. Right. Okay. This is perfect segue into my loving lately. Okay. Yeah. Tell you me are not going to believe what, what I'm bringing. What are you bringing? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be so different. I can't wait to tell Tina. I'm bringing a concept. Okay. Okay. And I got this from the currently reading Facebook feed for mm-hmm. the their Patreon subscribers. There was someone in the feed and her name was Deborah. And she posted someone else's comment, a lady, an 80-something-year-old woman named Alexis, and who had posted her comment in the Women Reading Great Books Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Okay. And here's what... Alexis, the 80-something-year-old woman, posted, I respect Goodreads reviews. I only want to read five-star rated books. Do you have a five-star book that's considered literature? I'm real old. I don't have much time left for fun, fluffy books. This isn't snobbery. I've read my share. Books are like wine. As you develop your taste, you realize you want the best. I want to feel like I've savored a work of art. I swear to God, my jaw is like on the ground. How when crazy. You, when you started talking, my jaw was on the ground. <laughs> right. I know. I was like, I mean, it's an interesting article, but it's not that interesting. But yes, I see why. Because that, that is crazy. So that blew oh. my mind. I read that, I think, two days ago. And I've been thinking about it because why can't that concept apply to our reading? Mm-hmm. And should it? Because right. I won't drink. I mean, okay. I like a certain type of Pinot Grigio. Mm -hmm. I like a certain type of chocolate. I like a certain type of coffee. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go and eat or drink 
any of those varieties of that that I don't like. Mm-hmm. So See, why are we reading books we don't like? This is so interesting because I always think Renee has a better picker and I am she's more picky than I am in terms of five star. And I drink Aldi wine. My <laughs> my Pinot Grigio is from Aldi. Hey, don't knock Winking Owl. It's $3 and it's wonderful. But that idea of being somebody that knows your tastes and being picky and being able to discern what you like and what you don't like, there's value to that. And I definitely see the relationship. Right. Well, and it's not about cost, but you wouldn't go out and drink a wine that you hated, right? And neither would I. So why are we reading? Why do we push ourselves to read books that we aren't into? And I think because I am always like, well, maybe I don't know what I'm into. Like maybe there's something that's totally different right now. I've never tried XYZ genre or XYZ author, but I think I should trust myself at this point. I've been reading long enough to know like, all right, if you're not vibing with this book after X, you know, a percentage or whatnot, like it's okay to move on. But well, how interesting that we both brought this. I want to know what the people recommended Miss Alexis. And I don't know. I did not go back to, well, actually someone responded. The only comment that that they posted was the first person that responded oh, saying, right. I'm scared to comment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's high praise, right? Like, it's like, okay, right. Ale- Miss Alexis only has, she's, you know, X amount of time left to read these books. I will say, I think in my list today, and I know at least one of your picks, these are some cream in the crop books. Because when you think back to the title of the episode, Book Hangovers, these are the ones that really sucked us in and kind of got us to that point. Right. One of mine in particular is really particular for me. It doesn't have super, super high Goodreads ratings. Uh-huh. I think that's okay. I don't buy into Goodreads ratings a lot of the time. I really don't. Well, this is a whole other wormhole. We can go down at a different time, but true. I'm not afraid to recommend a book that doesn't have good Goodreads reviews because I just don't think those are super representative of the book. Right. Okay. Well, that is so fun. That is fun. And I can't believe we were on the same Loving Lately wavelength I know. this week. What did we call it? Book intuition last week? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt that. Let's get through our latest reads because I really want to talk more about book hangovers. I actually loved mm-hmm. my latest read. So I'll, I'll go first. Um, okay. I thought this book was fantastic. And I've been teasing Renee with this for about a week because I did not want her to know I was reading it for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, my latest read is Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Oh, Did you yes. like this one? I loved it. Yeah, I thought so. So I mm-hmm. wanted to just surprise her like, hey, this is a kind of fun book I know you really liked. I finally picked it up. This one is a bookstagram favorite. And I had been seeing it around, you know, years ago, like 2019, I think. I really loved her book from 2020, Little Secrets. So I wanted to pick it up. And I think I enjoyed Jar of Hearts even more. What this book does is... It takes a story that you might have heard before, sort of, but turns it on its head because she begins with the end. She works right from the courtroom where we see our main character getting accused of something. So she works backward to say, this is how it happened. The opening scene, we're in court and we find out that Georgina Shaw, a.k.a. Geo, helped dismember her best friend and hide her body. She is brought in because her then-boyfriend is Calvin James, and he is a serial killer known as the Sweet Bay Strangler. And she's there to provide context for the night that they killed her best friend. She gets time in prison 
what is so interesting is this crime took place 14 years ago and Gio said nothing. She hit it. And that part kind of like made me even... Anyway, that was messed up. That's a crazy mm-hmm. thing to do. So she gets five years in prison for being an accomplice and Calvin gets life. All of this happens when like within the first like 15 pages. So this is a setup. What's so unique is we actually get to spend time with her in prison. I thought that was a very unique angle. Mm-hmm. And while Gio is there, she makes a lot of new connections. And obviously when she gets out, she has to rebuild. She lost her fiance. She lost her fancy job at a pharmaceutical company. Her neighbors hate her, don't want her in their neighborhood, and they vandal her house. To make matters worse, other people are turning up dead. Trust me when I say there is a lot more meat on this bone and things start to take off from there. Obviously, this book is pretty brutal. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's also so entertaining. I could not put it down. I think, again, I read it in maybe a day, two days, but things build up very nicely And there's a great culminating scene at the end. It plays with the idea of psychopathy and inherited trauma. And while I did guess the ending, none of the twists felt like they were added just to have a twist because you're supposed to kind of build. And I was like, oh, I think I see where it's going. And it was really satisfying to see where it ended. I loved this book. And I was excited to learn that the author has another book coming out in spring of 2022. I will pick up anything she writes. And this was Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. That is so fun that you read this. And also, this is crazy. This episode is so crazy. What happened? What now? I got, <laughs> guess what? The Okay. I love that book. Good. Well, also, I will, I'll put in here, I did not have the ending figured out. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know me, I'm not that great of a, a detective or a piece together of the puzzle. So I thought it was great you know, surprising. So that book, when I read it, which I think was two or three summers ago. Yeah, it was a couple summers ago for sure. Okay. I had been in a reading slump. Oh, really? A seven-week reading slump. Not, I don't think it was caused by a book hangover. I don't remember what caused it. It was a reading slump. And I had binged like entire seasons of Netflix shows and then finally thought, okay, I need to read. This is the book I picked up. And it was like, uh, and it was like light bulb. I was like, oh, my reading is back. Oh, like, wonderful. I loved it so much. And th- that was it. Like I just kept, you know, like it busted me right out of a you reading You got back slump. in the habit. I yep. love that. And so perfect. This is a perfect book to kind of, if you find yourself in a book hangover, consider picking yes. this one up. Yes, I'm so glad you loved it. I did. All right, now tell me what your what your latest read is. Okay, my latest read is Case Histories by Kate Atkinson. I've been wanting to read this author forever. I've never is this read her. The same author as Life After yes, Life. This okay. is her detective series. Mm-hmm. It's the first book in the Jackson Brody series. I don't even know why. I, I was in the mood for a mystery series. Mm -hmm. I don't mind getting started on them. I know that I've got Louise Penny out there, but those are intimidating. Because there's a lot of them. There's so many. Yeah. And I thought, I had a copy of this already, so I thought, well, I'll try this. It has everything that I should have loved. It takes place in Britain. You have a quirky detective in Jackson Brody. He's very flawed. The book starts off by giving you three case histories. So they're very different 
And they're very different in time and they're very different Mm. in what happened. You have one missing child. So, you know, that got me. You have you have another where supposedly a wife snaps and kills her husband with an axe. Oh, (laughs) and then. You have a third, which is just kind of a little off. You have a grieving father whose daughter is killed when like a knife wielding psycho comes into her office building and stabs her. Mm. And and you wouldn't think that they were at all connected. And I'm not going to say that they were, but there's a possibility of that one or two might have been. All of that was great. What ends up happening, and I did listen to this. And I think that is the way to go. Mm-hmm. It was a British narration. I love British narration. This was so character driven, so character focused when I think I was in the mood for a really tight mystery mm-hmm. plot. So I do think if you like character driven mysteries where you get a whole, whole bunch of details into really quirky characters' lives, Mm -hmm. because I liked a lot of the people and I loved Jackson, but I just felt bored a lot of the time. Yeah. You don't want that in a mystery. I don't want that. And, and I actually kept asking myself, I know he's a detective. I know like, actually I take that back. He was a former detective. He, in this book, he's a private investigator. Mm. But he had a history of being a police detective. But I have no idea when he worked. Like, he never put together... (laughs) He never put together any clues. So he wasn't very good. (laughs) So I was, like, thinking, wait, how is he possibly going to solve anything? And how can I solve it when I'm not getting any clues? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It was very very strange because I read a lot of mysteries. I want the clues. I want to be able to follow along and try to figure out the puzzle and then not be able to figure out the puzzle. And then the resolutions came and I was like, I don't even know how he figured that out because it didn't seem like he worked the entire book on anything. Yeah. I hate when that happens when you have like, there's sort of clues, but like nothing really that's going to allow, like it almost feels like cheating. Like, Oh, well I'm sure you figured that out. You weren't giving me all of the puzzle. Right. And this had a lot of where the villains or the quote unquote, people in the periphery ended up telling him what actually happened. Oh, okay. Kind of like Scooby-Doo. That's lazy. (laughs) That's lazy. I got you. Okay. So, and this goes back to, so I'm contradicting my own loving lately. Why did I continue? Well, we didn't have this conversation yet. So, well, I know, but I really like Jackson Mm -hmm. and I'm even Based on how it ended, I'm wondering if I should just give him one more try. Yeah. So well, it won't hurt you to pick up his second book and see if it I know. pulls you in. Because maybe this was like setting the stage and kind of, I don't know, like playing right. with, you know, giving you some backstory. Because I've actually, you, you mentioned Louise Penny, and I've heard that about her books, that the first two are harder mm-hmm. to get through. And then once you're in three, it's like game on. So I've heard that about her books too. And if anyone is listening who has read and loved and has any thoughts on the Jackson Brody series and thinks I definitely should continue, please let me know. Sounds (laughs) good. I'm not opposed to it. That was Case Histories by Kate Atkinson. We have a lot. So we have a lot to talk about with book hangovers. Mm -hmm. So we both were very excited about this topic. And then we kind of took a step back and thought, wait, what do we mean by a book hangover? Like, I think you can define it in a lot of ways. 
Renee did the liberty of giving some definitions. So I'll share the first one. We have Shelf Awareness, who says that a book hangover is a reading experience that won't let go and a fear that nothing else will come close. Right. And that's easy. I mean, that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, that definitely is how I feel when I am heading into a book hangover. I really, really liked the next two. And Book Riot says a book hangover is the feeling. When a reader finishes a book that they can't stop thinking about the fictional world that has run out of pages, the story is over, but the reader misses the characters or the atmosphere of the novel. Also true. Mm -hmm. And that one I love because I think sometimes like a book hangover can be a tough read. Like it can be an emotional book. Like it doesn't have to be one that you're, oh, I wish I could live there or, you know, like I really love this story. You love the story, but like, you don't want to be in it. You just can really, really appreciate what it did for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I don't read a lot of fantasy, but I imagine Mm -hmm. that if you get so engrossed in the world that has been built, as far as the world building and fantasy goes, then, then that could be tough when you have to leave. Right. Because you, I mean, that's the only place it exists. Exactly. All right. So do you want to, do you want me to read some of the humorous take on readers suffering from a a book hangover in terms of being a patient that epic reads, (laughs) which it, it made me laugh. So they said a book hangover is a condition in which an attachment to a book or series that has ended causes the reader traumatic emotional distress. It usually lasts for one to two weeks or until a new book of higher than average quality enters the reader's life. Readers are yet to discover a proven cure for this condition. The only known methods with evidence of negating this condition are the passage of time and a new book or series that is good enough for the patient to get attached to. Though in turn, a new book hangover will most likely occur at the conclusion of said book or series. I like that one. I think I that's cute. That. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that totally applies to one of my reads I'm bringing today. Yes. I think that's really, that's true though, right? Like you can just, you wait it out or just dive into a new one and hope that it is good. And I was thinking about this though. How many times have I done this to where I'm reading a book? I loved it. Five stars gave me a book hangover, but I'm like kind of denying it. I'm like, let me just jump into the next book. But then this poor next book doesn't stack up to the book I just finished. So I kind of have like a sour attitude while I'm reading it. And I really do think that can affect my rating. Yeah. And I don't even know what the answer to that would be because every time I've had a book hangover, I can't get into anything Mm -hmm. else. So Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it would be wise to just pick up something completely out of your comfort zone. Maybe that's the key. I haven't Mm -hmm. tried it because that's too risky. Mm -hmm. Because even though you finish, like you finished a book that you can't stop thinking about and you love. And in my case, I have cried and cried and cried. (laughs) And then I, why would I pick up something that was completely out of my wheelhouse? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I'm searching for the exact same feeling. I want to feel that again. Well, I think that happens, though. You see certain lists like, okay, recommendations for books that are like X, super popular book, because mm-hmm. people want to try and capture 
for example, Gone Girl. Like people want to try and capture that lightning in a bottle again, and it can be very difficult to do so. Or the problem then too, like I said, the other books suffer because like they're trying to compare to something that they were never intended to be compared with. Exactly. So what do you think it is about certain books that cause you to feel this way over others? I've been giving it some thought because initially I was like, I don't get book hangovers that often because I'm always reading multiple books. So that is one way that I try Mm. and combat this feeling is I have a couple books going at the same time. So it's not like I have to like pick up something totally new. I pick up something that I've already have a little bit of familiarity with. I think for me, it's characters. A lot of the time, that's what drags me in is the character and what they went through who they are, and I want to know more about them. But, like, mm-hmm. also, I don't really read sequels <laughs> all that often. <laughs> so, like, I kind of know, like, this was it. This was the story, and, like, I have to leave them there. You know, I could always reread, but I, again, don't do that. Uh, I don't know. Now you've challenged me to find a series for you that I can get you into. We can do an episode on series that I've actually read, because there's a handful. I think I used to be more into series, but now I am less inclined for some reason. I haven't read a series probably since Hunger Games, I think. Well, even if you found, and I should probably take my own advice, if I had a series that I really got into and then something else gave me a book hangover, I could go back and pick up one in the series because that would be like a comfort read then. Mm -hmm. Because you already know the players. Exactly. I want you to read Louise Penny because I really think you'll like her. I think you'll like them. I know. I don't know why I haven't. I I take that back. I've read Still Life, mm. which everyone said was the worst of of the series. I mean, it, but I actually I think I gave it three point five or four stars. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I thought it was decent. So why I didn't go and immediately pick up the next one, I don't know because right. I think I read Still Life last year. I I'm not opposed to it. Give it a but shot, man. There's so many books in that series. Yeah, there are. I think. I don't have a lot of books going at the same time. So maybe Mm -hmm. when I come across characters that I love so much and that they are actually real people, I can't. And I'm usually trying to alternate reading and audio, although I only started that at the most two and a half years ago. So before that, I only stuck with one book at a time. So then when that book is over. Then it gets hard. It kind of feels daunting, I think, to get into another story, learn new characters. You're like, I don't want to. I want to stick with the people that I was just spending time with. Yes, I love them. So I'm going to briefly mention in my book hangover research, because I could not come to a book hangover discussion without doing a little research on, is this even something that other people acknowledge or is it just something that book bloggers and readers talk about amongst themselves and turns out it is and book riot cited a really interesting study from a doctor from the university of toronto and we'll link to her to the book riot article and she studies the psychology of reading which i have a degree in psychology mm-hmm. you do too i did not know there was anything like called the psychology of reading. Psychologists study everything. You know how that goes. Well, I I didn't know this. I need to know more. But she looked at the effects of reading on the theory of the mind and empathy. And so they asked her to 
try to explain the psychological basis for the lingering emotions that happen after a book hangover. And she said that sometimes the hangover feeling is simple sadness. It could be that sadness, it could be that readers feel sadness after the end of the book, which signals a loss of something valued, Mm. which makes sense. It really does. So in the case of what we're even talking about, it's a loss of characters who we may have connected very strongly with or the loss of the whole world that was presented Mm -hmm. in the book. Because once you turn that last page, it's gone. You cannot Mm -hmm. experience it anymore. I mean, you could if you did a reread, but it's not going to be the same. So what do you think about that? Does that ring true? It does. And it makes me think about books that I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I could read that again for the first time because I want to, I want to experience it again. I want to think, you know, be introduced to these characters and fall in love all over again. Cause I know if you try and reread it, it's not going to hit the same unless you put a lot of years in between. But even then, I don't think it'll feel the same way. I have one of my examples or one of my books that I'm bringing. And I did that. I let four years go in between. So I'll tell you about it here shortly, but I initially read it. And then when I did a reread, I listened to it. So I'll tell you Oh, that that's a perfect out. way to do it. That's a I'll great t- way yeah. to do it and try and experience it in a different way is to try it in different formats. Right. And it, and it really did work. So as far as something else that she kind of talked about was the fact that our brain, I thought this was so interesting. And this really like, explains to me why I get book hangovers kind of often. I mean, I don't know, like once or twice a year, which to me is a lot because sometimes they can last a while. But our brains, when we read, touches on the empathy piece. So we start to experience the world of the story through the character's eyes and we feel what they feel. We like them or we hate them Mm -hmm. or we feel like all the emotions as if they're real people, mm-hmm. because that's how we like, that's how our brain interacts with people in real life. Yeah. It's the same thing. I didn't that's interesting, know that. Right? Like, I've never thought about it like that. I wonder Have if you I, no, I haven't. And I wonder if somebody is more empathic, if they're more likely to be a reader. Yes. Yes. That is what she said. I mean, that, you know me, I like read the entire research study. Right. Well, no wonder. <laughs> yeah. But they do say, and that's, that is why they want. They don't want to take away books in prisons either mm-hmm. necessarily because reading fosters empathy. That That's amazing. And in yeah. order to increase empathy, it's proven that if you read, it does increase empathy. I can see that because you care right. about something, somebody other than yourself and kind you, of trying to picture yourself in their shoes. and Exactly. Yeah. And you get to learn about someone else's experiences, life experiences or cultural experiences through the story that you're reading. And it could be completely different than yours, which increases your empathy in general. Well, and I think it can translate too to real life. So if you, and granted, reading about someone's experience is not living it. It's not the same as actually knowing someone in real life, but it gives you a primer. It gives you a starting point, I think. Exactly. If you've had a book hangover, if you can, like, maybe even the last one you had, is it because you love the character so much? Or was it because you were so angry with the author about anything? Like, 
Do you think it's mainly because you love the characters? For me, the book that I'm thinking of most recently was Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. And I don't, I wasn't mad at the author for anything. I got attached to them. This doesn't, this isn't always the case, but I really wanted the best for the two characters at the center Mm -hmm. of it. They were super flawed. They're not perfect people at all. And and they wouldn't see, listen to me talk about them. Like they're real. I was going to say, they wouldn't Uh. say that they are, (laughs) but (laughs) that is what got me. I think attached was that I really wanted to know what happened to them. And it doesn't always need to be the case that I want the best for them. But in this case I did. I completely agree. I mean, okay. Buddy and Ike are definitely real people. Right. And that's how you know, like if you were, you can refer to them as, you know, by first name, like somebody, you know, that's how it's like, that's a good sign. Okay. So before we end, do you think you dread a book hangover or are you looking for your next book hangover? I am looking for my next book hangover. Me too. I I have never had one. (laughs) I have never had one that was so that didn't mean that it wasn't worth reading that book. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I would rather read I would rather read one amazing, incredible book that like sticks with me than four books that are like, eh, all right. Yeah, that was fine. You know, I agree. I agree. Hopefully some of our picks will be somebody else's next book. hangover. Yes. Before we share some books that have given us book hangovers, I want to give some honorable mentions to three that most definitely gave me book hangovers, but I've already talked at length about them on the past episodes. And those are I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes, The Idea of You by Robin Lee, and Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. All right, well, let's get to it. What is your first book hangover pick? Okay, so the book that I picked for my selection as a book that gave me a book hangover is called The Knockout Queen by Rufie Thorpe. This book I had no expectation for. I liked the cover. It was a book of the month pick. And I thought, hey, this looks interesting. And I was blown away. I absolutely loved it. I will say, I think it's best if you don't know too much about this book going in. So I'm going to keep the synopsis sort of brief. This is a character-driven, dark, coming-of-age story, which, hello, that's why I liked it, (laughs) about two neighbors who grow into being best friends. You have Bunny, who is quirky, and she's super tall. She's 6'3", and she is the star volleyball player. And Michael, who tries to hide his sexuality and his home life behind long hair and a septum piercing. Bunny's father plays a pretty prominent role in this story. And he's kind of smarmy. He's a rich real estate developer who has a lot going on and maybe a secret drinking problem. So Bunny is largely left to fend for herself. Michael would never have tried to befriend her if it wasn't for their neighborly proximity to bond over their dark humor and their outcast status. Bunny has a dream of being an Olympian, but she's also desperate to fit in at school and to be seen as normal. Michael has his own wishes. He pretends to be straight at home, but tries to understand himself outside of school by meeting men online for anonymous encounters. And about halfway through, things take a real turn, and that is when I got completely absorbed. I fell in love with Rufy Thorpe's storytelling. It was so gripping. And I thought she explored identity in a really compelling way. And we came to understand these characters through their desire to be accepted. I will say the characters are teenagers for most of the book, but they felt very grown up. I did not think this was YA, and it didn't read super young to me. It is sarcastic. It is honest and it's very dark. And I read it last year. 
in the height of the pandemic, and it's really, really still sucked me in. So I think that says something. I still think about these characters today, and I got a feeling when I was reading back over my notes. I won't say what feeling because I want you to have a little surprise if you end up picking this one up, but I can't recommend it enough. This was The Knockout Queen by Rufy Thorpe. Oh, I haven't read that one. No? Okay. Mm -mm. I was very curious to see if you would because you don't like quirky characters, but I don't think these characters are too quirky to turn you off from that. Right. You said sarcastic yes. and dark, yes. which I do not mind okay. at all. Yeah, I think it um, could I think this one could be interesting for you. Okay. I know it was very popular when it came out. Oh, I want to um, know. I'm ex- I just realized like you're going to tell me three books that potentially could give me a book hangover. I know I've read one cuz we we spilled. But, yes. All right. What's your first? Well, I'm sure a lot of people have read one. I'm going to and also when you said you were going to keep it brief, I'm going to have to keep this brief and I you know I love to talk about my books, (laughs) but a lot of these have very simple plots and it was, it was the characters. Mm -hmm. So anyway, sorry if you think I'm being really short with me, with a lot of these. My first one is One Day by David Nichols. Have you heard of it? I have not. Oh no, I have heard of it. I have not read it. Okay. It was made into a movie. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I watched the movie. Anne Hathaway stars in it. That's why I didn't read it. Read the book, read the book, read the book. (laughs) Okay. This came out in 2010. And really, this is a basic synopsis. In July of 1988, Emma and Dexter meet for the first time on the night of their graduation, college graduation. Tomorrow, they must go their separate ways. So where will they be on this one day next year and the year after that and every year that follows? That's the synopsis. (laughs) All right. Okay. Let's find out. The story (laughs) follows Dex and Emma over 20 years, and every chapter takes place on July 15th of the next year. And they're not short chapters, needless to say. So you really get pulled into their lives. And this was a case of bittersweet love story meets rom-com, which is not typically my thing, meets coming of age. So Dexter is a good-looking popular, privileged guy. He kind of comes across as unaware of the world around him. Emma is middle class. She considers herself to be a bit of a nonconformist, although she has had a crush on Dexter throughout college. When they meet the very first night, they almost sleep together, but end up just spending a day and a half in each other's company. So this book is heavy on dialogue. Mm-hmm. Have I mean, of course. And it's British and it's, I love it. I love British dialogue. So what follows is their lives. And someone on Goodreads said that this is basically like watching a kaleidoscope of missteps between two people over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it was because sometimes they're close friends and sometimes they're not. And sometimes one of them is ready to like be romantically involved and the other one is involved with somebody else. Do you know, it's such a roller coaster, which Mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. It is not cheesy. It's a book in the end about love, friendship, romance, sexual attraction, marriage, unrequited love. I don't even know. Okay. I read this when I had, I will tell you, I was so sick. I picked this up because I was stuck in bed with the H1N1. 
virus. And I was like, oh, I've had this on my shelf. I might as well read it. I was so sick and I could not stop reading. I read this in a day. It's very complicated. Both Emma and Dex can be complete jerks. They live their life imperfectly and it's just a roller coaster of bittersweet emotions and events. And that is exactly what I like in my love stories. Now, something happens in the story. And I hope if you haven't watched the movie or read, like, please, if this interests you, go pick up the book. Don't watch the movie. I don't even know if the, if the movie followed the book. But in the book, something happens. I gasped oh. out loud. I had to go back. I was like, I know I definitely did not read that right. Like, I was sick. I couldn't. You and got, I went back and I fever. reread it. This can't be And correct. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I couldn't, I could not stop crying. I had to put the book down. And then I was so mad at the, I was so mad at the author. Oh. I was so mad at mm, the author. Okay. And it took me several months that I continued. And this, of course I had a book hangover. And then I kept thinking about it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I forgave David Nichols. So, I mean, he, hopefully he'll be happy about that. All right. I forgave him. I went on to read his other books. David, if you're listening, you're forgiven. But this is just, you know, things don't always go as you, as you want in your love stories. And that's what I like. Although it could have went exactly like it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. That was One Day by David Nichols. It sounds so good. I'm so, so into this book. I thought it was, for some reason, I thought it was like, alternate lives lived and you know I can't do those so I thought I was like oh I don't want to know like all these alternate lives but I love a story that goes from like A to Z like from you know 21 to whatever yep awesome already borrowed it on Libby yay did you listen to it or did you read it you read it I I read it okay cool this was this was uh oh right a while ago I think I read it in 2014 or 15. Okay. So it's been yeah, a while. Before I, before I was listening to audio. So yeah. I'm laughing because guys, I could not have a sharper left turn to go into my next book. <laughs> Ooh, what is it? My next book is another very dark book from me. Okay. I think this one gave me a book hangover because it's very atmospheric and it's the world that I think sort of, I was there. So it's The Hunger by Alma Katsu. Oh. Do you know this That's book? on my TBR. Oh, good. Yes, it's on my TBR. Good. Okay. Let me let me tell you about it. All right. It's 1846. You have a group of American pioneers, and they set off for California with all of their worldly possessions. They know the journey will be difficult, and they've got enough supplies to survive, especially since they'll be following the new Hastings cutoff, and all 90 people in their party will make it, right? Well, this is the fictionalized account of what happened to the members of the Donner Party which is a real thing in American history. If you've ever played the Oregon Trail as a kid, this is going to sound familiar because these are people that are heading west. So it's kind of historical fiction, a little bit horror, though, which I think totally worked for me. You've got the Donner Party, as they're known as, and they've been traveling west for weeks. They come to a crossroads, and their leader, George Donner, has to make a choice. Should they take the well-tested and documented path or try the new path that is rumored to be shorter? George opts for the shorter path, and things go very downhill from there. They end up taking much longer than expected and literally are driven to the brink of madness from hunger and from other things. And things keep happening to the party you know, to the pioneers and to their animals, and eventually the survivors turn against each other. 
This is a true story. And you know me, I did a ton of Googling while I was reading this. And I found that the author held true to a lot of what really happened. Of course, when things start to go sideways, they think that they've been cursed and they blame Tamsin Donner, George's wife, for their bad luck. Oh, you're a witch, you know, whatever. Oh, no. So she ended up being my absolute favorite character. And it was really, really interesting to see her try and rebel against the traditional roles that she's been assigned to. I want to make the caveat that this is a slow burn. It's not like a fast-paced kind of, you know, go, go, go. But the payoff is there if you stick with it. There's a lot of characters. I did not have trouble keeping them straight. And I think it helps a little bit if you do some light Googling to figure out who is who. I did the audio, and I thought it really helped propel the story. The narrator is Kirsten Potter. Again, there is a supernatural slash horror element. I loved it. Like, I, I was super into that piece. It was small. The whole book was not horror. It's eerie. It's unsettling. And really, at the end of the day, it's an exploration of what humans will do when they're pushed to their breaking point. And I loved it. This would be a great addition, guys, to your fall reading list. Give it a go. It is The Hunger by Alma Katsu. I love when something's described as eerie. Mm-hmm. And I read some of her books in the past. Have you? Yes. I want to read her again, for sure. I'm going to add this to my October TBR. I'm going to bump Excellent. it up to my October TBR because I've already wondered about that. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. What left you like thinking? Oh. What were you thinking about specifically? Why it gave me a book hangover is this story has always compelled me. I've been, I've known about the Donner family and I'm not, I'm, I'm being intentionally vague um, and I don't want to share too much about what happened, but I thought it was such a clever tie in to make it a little bit horror. Okay to tie into what happened in real life. I just, for whatever reason, am very (laughs) into this story. And I think it was the world and it was kind of the unsettling. Like I felt like I was on this trail with these people. She also mentioned some of the uh, Native American people that they ran into while they were journeying West. And I appreciated that addition because it felt, it made it feel more real. It kind of gave it more of a lifelike feel. Okay. I got it. All right. Thank you. Adding that to October, which isn't too far away. Not at all. Okay. What's next for you? My next is also dark. My next two are dark. Mine too, so. Dark, dark. So what I'm bringing next, I'm going to sneak in a trilogy, but it's all, it's all one. It can only be read as boom, 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 in order one. And it's Don Winslow's The Cartel Trilogy. Ah, okay. Go ahead. Oh, Okay. So Power of the Dog is first, came out in 2006. This gives me hope for Terry Hayes. Still wondering if Terry Hayes is out there listening. And if he, (laughs) The Cartel, book two, came out in 2015. Mm. I read these all back to back a year and a half ago. And then The Border came out in winter of 2019. So they're all out. You can get them, but they all must be read in order And that's it. There's no question. I ended up listening to most of these. I did have like the ebook, but Ray Porter is the narrator and he's an actor. Oh my, Mm. amazing. Love when actors do actors. So good. Oh, they're so good. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to set this up. If you haven't heard of Don Winslow's cartel trilogy, it is about the drug wars between Mexico and the U.S., basically. But he will bring in Colombia. He will bring in 
Central America in general. In Power of the Dog, to start, he sets up the story. So you have Art Montana. He's an obsessive DEA agent. He is initially, he's very young when the story starts, and he is friends with Adon Barrera, who he and his brother are heirs to a Mexican drug cartel empire. Well, that friendship can't last. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you you get that set up. What I loved was how he gave us their friendship and then he tore it down. And oh man, it was okay, it was so good. Then you have Nora. Uh, she's a teenager who becomes a high class prostitute. Then you have Father Parada. He's a powerful and incorruptible Catholic priest. Then you have Kaylin. He's an Irish kid from Hell's Kitchen who grows up to be a merciless hitman. They are all trapped in the world of the Mexican drug cartels. You learn about each and every one of their stories, and you you care about each and every one. Like these are long books. They will fly by. Power of the Dog is 542 pages. The Cartel, this book two, is 615 pages. The Border is 736 pages. I read them all back to back to back. He takes his time. You know, he's telling a good story. I mean, he tells an amazing story. So they follow the stories of Art and Adon through many, many years. So by the end of The Border... Art will have been a DEA agent for over 40 years. So if you like a a crime saga with so much, like this is for you. The cartel continues their stories, continues. Everybody has bits and pieces that tie together. You will travel from New York City to Mexico City to Tijuana to Central America. Then throughout the books, you will then dig more into like the people fighting the drug wars. Then you'll go back to the cartel. And then it kind of weaves this whole story. And then in the border, you have a lot of Wall Street, a lot of U.S. governmental intervention, a lot of shady business, a lot of like money laundering, real estate schemes. I mean, it was it had everything for me to describe it in two words, epic saga. You won't forget it. I mean, I still think about these characters. I wonder, like, I think Don Winslow's done with this particular trilogy, but I will never forget art. I will say this is not for everyone. It is brutal with a capital B. There's lots of violence. It's graphic violence. It is not in any way, shape, or form, easy to read about. I mean, I had to put the cartel down because of the way he writes. You can picture it, mm-hmm. and it's it's very disturbing. Some involve children. And once I was done, I went back and Googled and watched interviews with Don Winslow. Every single thing, every event that he put in these books was based on true stories, which I'm glad I didn't know. When I was reading it, I thought, okay, I can do this. Like, it's fiction. So it's very tough, but amazing, amazing, amazing. Gave me a huge book hangover, and that's Don Winslow's Cartel Trilogy, also being made into a TV series on FX. Yeah, on FX, I think. 
I think FX is a good place for it. I think that makes sense. Yeah. All right. This one, I read The Cartel. You're going to like... You read book two out of order? I read book two. Yeah. But I I read it in 2016 and I don't think I had realized that it was book two when I was reading it. I liked it. I remember enjoying the book. And it says right on the cover. Well, it says author of Power of the Dog. And I don't think I had put it together that this was not the first book. Don't be like me. And I did read it before book three came out. Do you remember if you felt lost at all? Because I think I figured it out like, oh, this is book two, but I had purchased it, the book. And I was like, yeah, I'll just keep reading. And also, I think Power of the Dog was possibly the best out of the three. Which one is that? Book that's three? The, that's book one. Book one. Okay. Yes. I loved all of them equally, all five stars. But if I had to choose, Power of the Dog is the best. Mm-hmm. I picked up on that. The guy, the cartel, and then the DEA agent had used to be friends. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that I knew it was as, like, developed. You get that in book one. Right. Yes. Yeah. You get some... He did a good job, though. Honest to God, what I wasn't a, lost. What like, a I wasn't dilemma. Like, yeah, but what a dilemma. Like, what if you were best friends and you're a DEA agent and your best friend is an heir to the drug cartel? Like, you guys can't be friends. <laughs> That's it's a, a tangled web. Exactly. Uh, all right. What do you have next? All right. Well, let's stick with brutal books. Let's, I have. Uh, oh, let's let's do that. <laughs> all right. Mine's much shorter. So the book that I have for you is The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Oh, you've brought three books I have not read. Good. Yes. Yes. That makes me really happy. This book was my favorite book of 2019. I lost my mind over it. Okay. It was one I listened to, and it's narrated by J.D. Jackson, who is an actor. He's so good. He's he's excellent. Chef's kiss. I'll get more serious because it's based on a real-life story. It's based on a reform school for boys located in Florida. But the book is set in 1960s Tallahassee at the Nickel Academy. Again, it's a reform school, and boys are sent here under the guise of rehabilitation, but instead of being, you know, getting any sort of programming or whatnot, they were subjected to extreme psychological and physical abuse. I will say Whitehead does not shy away from the horror of what they experience, so reader be aware. But the story is stunning. It centers on two boys, Elwood and Turner, who come from different walks of life. They each have different philosophies on how to navigate the world. You have Elwood, who's ambitious and favors the words of Dr. King, where Turner is more pragmatic and kind of has self-preservation at the forefront of his mind at all times. Elwood was actually on his way to college, weeks away from getting into college and going off to school. So he's stunned to find himself in this vicious environment, but he tries to keep up his optimism and look for what little bright side he can find. Turner thinks Elwood is naive, and he knows and feels that the world is crooked and that the only way to survive is to be cruel and cynical back. These thoughts and their friendship lead them to a decision that has decades-long repercussions. This book stunned me. It is very short at 224 pages, but Colson Whitehead is a master at storytelling. He really packs everything you need into this story. I was on the edge of my seat while reading this. I cried, and I know you dig that. Hmm. I still think about it, and I'm not going to say anything else. Read this if you like my picks. If you have similar reading tastes to me and you haven't, I can't recommend it highly enough. This was The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. I'm so glad you brought that because it's not on my TBR, and I— 
I had thought about it when it came out, but then I just lost track of it. For me, sometimes if a book seems too literary or, you know, heavy, I'm like, eh, I don't know if this is going to really pull me in. This pulled me right in. Like you won't have any trouble getting attached to these characters. Okay. Um, you sold me. I, I'm going to, you think, yeah, audio is the way to go. It sounds like. Yep. Audio is the way to go. For okay. This one. I'm going to get this. Thank you. Um, well, we're dark. We're ending on dark. <laughs> I know. I was like, we're going to have to do like a nice light episode after this or something. Cause I'm like, Oh, I mean, clearly it's potentially dark books, but the characters that are in these books are what we most connect mm-hmm. with that end up leaving us with book hangovers, right? Oh gosh. I just realized I remembered what your third book yeah. is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Take we're, it we're away. Going, we're going dark and brutal after to end this is yes. After your pick too. So my last pick is my top book of the last decade, a book that caused me to sob in my bathroom for an hour and a half. Uh-uh. Oh, it did because I had to leave because I was reading the ending and my husband and my youngest son, this was in 2015. They were both in the room watching a movie and I was coming towards the end and towards things that happened. And I had to leave. I went in my bathroom and cried for 90 minutes. And that is A Little Life by Hannah Yanagihara. This was my longest book hangover to date. It lasted six weeks. (laughs) Okay. If you haven't heard, I mean, everyone may have heard of A Little Life. It does have like 235,000 ratings on Goodreads. So I might not be bringing you something you haven't heard of, but if you've been afraid to read it or thinking it's too much, like just listen to what I have to say and then make your decision. So this is about four men who meet in college in a small Massachusetts college, and they move to New York City to make their way. They're broke, adrift, and they are buoyed only by their friendship and ambition. They are best friends. There's Willem, who wants to be an actor, JB, a quick-witted, sometimes very cruel and sarcastic Brooklyn painter, Malcolm, a frustrated architect, and Jude, the brilliant, very withdrawn lawyer. So the book centers on their friendship. It's set over decades, but this is how we meet them. And she sets this up with about 200 pages of their life because this was recommended to me. uh, I actually heard about it on a book podcast that is no longer. I was like, oh, and what caught my ear was the podcaster saying that she cried and cried and cried. (laughs) And you're like, Tell and I me was more. like, what? I need to know about this book. And then I had a, a friend who happened to recommend it to me. So I had messaged her when I was reading this, and I was like, I am literally 200 pages. Nothing is happening. And she said, keep going. And that's what I tell everybody that then I've recommended this to keep going. It takes a very sharp turn, it goes very dark. But this is a story about these male friendships. But I think it's friendships that could apply to not just men, but this is a book filled with men. And there's a couple women, but they are like, one's a wife, one's a social worker, one is, you know, they're kind of on the periphery. And what we have is, is a story about their relationships over decades. It's about addiction, success, pride, 
It's about how much do you give your friends and how much can you help someone who does not want to help themselves, who can't help themselves? What do you do? Can you or should you save them from themselves? And man, you will get sucked into these characters and their lives in such a way that I remember having to put the book down at times. It gets very dark. There is sensitivity warnings for every possible topic. So know that going in. It's very, very brutal. It's very disturbing. There's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of self-harm. There's just about everything. As I said, there's addiction. I would sometimes have to put it down and go vacuum, like do yeah. some, you know, for like Distract yourself two hours. Your <laughs> and then, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. I remember going to the grocery and like, mm. I couldn't stop thinking about these characters and specifically one in particular. I just... I was obsessed. This book is 700 and some pages. I read it in less than four days. (laughs) I couldn't stop. But I've had a lot of conversations with people about this book. A lot of people on, on Goodreads, a lot of people in my in real life, because I ended up having Anne, a little life girls night. And so I had some girls over the month before COVID hit and everybody that was going to come had agreed to read this so that we could talk about it. A few of them couldn't get through all of it. And then Mm -hmm. some did. I mean, maybe one or two loved it. Some, you know, thought it was a little too much, but it's very interesting to talk about. There's a lot of discussion points, but to me, it was really traumatic. It's the most traumatic book I've ever read. But I also thought it, told a story about the healing power of friendship yep. and love. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And he, yeah. she puts in this sentence about how there's a singular pleasure of watching the people that you love fall in love with other people that you love. And like, I swear to, I butchered the, the quote, but this book, I read it on the train. when I tell you, I was <gasps> weeping. You were in, in public, public when you, I was in public. I mean, I, and look, I was full and I'm, you know, don't talk to me, whatever. I was full out openly weeping with this book. Like, didn't care, doesn't matter. This book was too emotional to not do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i like bursting. I want to read this again so bad. You're well, making me want to like go outside under my awning in the rain and like <laughs> tear through this book. Well, that's this is what I was saying. So for the girls night that I had, I decided to reread it, but I listened to the whole thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it held up for me. I didn't, I mean, I didn't go and cry for 90 minutes. I still cried. It was a little more, it it felt a little more close because I was listening to the characters and Mm. oh man, Mm -hmm. it was almost, I guess, a harder reading experience, but I still loved it. And I still think about these characters very often and wonder, like to me, they're still, they're still out in the world. Oh, yeah. So that was A Little Life by Hana Yanagihara. Oh, Lord help me. So, yeah, you've, like I said, you've really wanted, made me want to try this again, perhaps on audio, although it's only well, on Audible, which I, I hate when they do that, but um, it might I know. be worth it. But, you know, I was afraid to, because I didn't want to have anything about that experience ruined 
it wasn't. I still felt the same way about it after I reread it. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. All right. All right. Are we We, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Man, I mean. That was a fun chat. It was fun. I guess that actually our picks could have applied to dark book club. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was definitely a dark uh, episode. That, I don't know that those are the characters that stay with you. Like, yeah, I mean, true. they happen to be involved in these type of stories, at least with these two readers. Exactly. All right. What is your shelf edition for this week? My shelf edition is a book that I just heard of. It is I'll Be You by Janelle Brown. And mm. I absolutely adored her book, Pretty Things. And I just saw her do a cover reveal on Instagram for her next one. So I was like, you know what? I'm bringing it, even though it doesn't come out until April 26, 2022. It is about identical twins, Sam and Ellie, who became B-list childhood TV stars. They were close as can be as children, but as adults, their lives have splintered. Ellie embraces her role as a homemaker, and Sam never got over their failed Hollywood career. She has an addiction problem that's led to a break in the sister's relationship, So she is shocked to learn that perfect Ellie's life is actually in turmoil. Ellie disappears. She allegedly checks into a retreat in Ojai. Her sister works backwards to figure out what actually is going on. And it sounds like things get more complicated than she would have ever predicted. It sounds good to me. I can't wait to pick it up. I love the title, I'll Be You. Which made me think, I'm like, maybe we have a situation here where there's some switching of identities. I love books with twins, so my interest is definitely piqued. And this book is I'll Be You by Janelle Brown. Okay, thanks. Adding that to my extended TBR. To your your (laughs) April TBR. To my, oh, that seems so far away, but time flies. We've got to make our TBRs for the spring now. Anytime is good. If the book is out, we can make the TBR. I mean, not if the book is out. If the title is available, available, we Mm -hmm. can put it on the TBR. All right. Mine, my shelf edition is Notes on an Execution. Oh, my God. I was going to say, are we going to bring things up a little bit? But apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not. No, we're not. Sorry. Notes on an Execution by Danya Kakafka. Comes out January 25th, 2022. Have you heard of this one? I'm not. I mean, Book Hangover slash The Darkest Reads. We could possibly bring minus one. (laughs) One day, yeah. (laughs) All right. This is a gripping and atmospheric work of literary suspense that deconstructs the story of a serial killer on death row told primarily through the eyes of the women in his life. Ansel Packer is scheduled to die in 12 hours. He knows what he's done and now awaits execution. The same chilling fate he forced on those girls years ago. But Ansel doesn't want to die. He wants to be celebrated, understood, as all serial Mm -hmm. killers do. That's why they talk. Right. Exactly. He hoped it wouldn't end like this, not for him. So the main story is told through a kaleidoscope of women. You have a mother, his twin sister a homicide detective who chased him down is what it sounds like. So, and his mother was 17 year old when she had him. Then you have, like I said, his twin sister. And then you have Safi, the homicide detective who has devoted herself to bringing bad men to justice 
but struggles to see her own life clearly. As the clock ticks down, these three women sift through the choices that culminate in tragedy, exploring the rippling fissures that such destruction inevitably leaves in its wake. So this is about a portrait of womanhood alongside of the familiar narrative of the American serial killer. It looks at our system of justice and our cultural obsession with crime stories and asks readers to consider the false promise of looking for meaning in the psyches of violent men. Hmm. And that was Notes on an Execution by Danya Kakafka. It sounds really good, though. I know. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have to look into that one. I know. It does sound really good. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen to your podcast and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. John told me I need to stop saying so as a transition. I can't. Well, what else are we going to say? That's like me trying to not say K when I respond to your messages. I know. I told Renee it hurts my feelings when she just responds K. I'm like, that makes me think you're mad. But I said, if I say, okay, is that better? And you You said, said, yes. 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 (laughs) K is like, all right, I can't even get two letters. I can't even get a full word. Oh my God. I want to just, I wanted, I need to decipher that because K is so easy. Like, it's just, boom, K, it's okay. Like, K, I got it. Okay. K, that's how I hear it. <laughs> so you would be really happy. One of my sons actually types out O-K-A-Y. K-A-Y. Yeah. The whole word. I'm sure. Yeah. See, you raised him well. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get that from me because I would just say K. K. <laughs>